Well, they've gone and done it. Mm-hmm. After all this time. I mean, everyone was thinking it. Mm-hmm. It's time to ditch the U.S. It's just not compatible with brand. <laughs> it, it's throwing good money after bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, um... What you need to do in your English language media is learn all those weird slang phrases that, like, the Australians and UK people and all those say, because um, America just has no more cultural cachet, no more uh, brand to brand with. Um, Our market is no longer important. You should leave it behind. But Just don't take our word it. for it. <laughs> yeah. This is according to Brett Bruin, who was Obama's, uh, what's it? Director of Global Engagement. Uh, so by his own words, like basically America's <laughs> brand ambassador during the eight years of Obama. And he had this to say. The end of Trump's presidency doesn't mean that business leaders can ignore this hard work. America's illustrious international image is not coming back anytime soon, and companies that don't proactively define themselves may find themselves defined by politics. For men, this is an unfamiliar, and indeed an uncomfortable spot. Yet it also affords companies a unique chance to reposition their global brand. That is an opportunity that does not come along often sees this moment to tell the world where you stand. <laughs> God. God damn it. <laughs> he, he just out and says it. Yeah. I mean... It also affords companies a unique chance to reposition their global brand as, like, uh, these were the best people that Obama could find. This was the competence that the Blue MAGA people are swooning over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I give up. I, I give up. I don't. Why does this exist? The adults in the room are saying, pack your bags and fuck off. Mm-hmm. It's time to, um, you know, finish up that spool of copper you're winding and get the fuck out. <laughs> You can leave the pipes under the sink. Someone else will get them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Besides, and, Pex isn't worth that much. <laughs> exactly. It's just so, like... There's just such peak neo-the bullshit. Mm-hmm. It, this is, we're packing our bags and we're ditching a toxic asset. Doesn't matter what that toxic asset is. Mm-hmm. Or if you're basically saying, yeah, fuck it. Um, we are abandoning any attempts at rehabilitating the United States in the business world. 
Or rather, the business world is abandoning us. I think that was supposed to be his actual message. Um, But, you know, you can restructure on the back of, you know, I don't know, the Chinese market or something. His analysis isn't wrong. It's just that his conclusion is the capitalist to the lifeboats fuck the women and children is really revealing yes kind of sociopathic really i mean it's not like they're this is not like some principled anti-imperialism um or anything this is um we got ours we're leaving fuck you in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Chop Shop Economics. You read the shits you don't have to. I'm Miss Silver. With us today is Doc. Yeah. <laughs> um. And yeah. Um. As always, if you like our stuff and you want to hear some more of our uh, really special material like commentary on the two fire festival documentaries and an upcoming uh, just in time for enduring the holiday why obama fucked the economy special check us out on patreon hell yeah um that's patreon.com slash chop shop economics five dollar tier gets you pretty much everything it does get you everything. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. It'll um, also get future fun stuff, like when you get to laugh along with us to The Purge, or speculate how Scooby-Doo brainwashed a generation into anarchism. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, what's going on with it, I guess? Um, guess that takes us to the top of the fold. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so yet again <laughs> is, is anyone surprised? Anyone? Anyone? Bjor Bjor Come on <laughs> Someone? Is there still like some small child in the United States that still has faith in the American Senate? I mean, I don't. So, the Senate I mean, recessed is, again. <laughs> like, this, the thing that's reminding, without passing relief, just, I don't know, just the thing that's going through my head is this thing from The Simpsons, that that one where Lisa goes to Washington, and then instead of giving her nice little speech, like, goes on a long riff about how this one congressman she saw taking a bribe is corrupt as fuck, and then all these, like, FBI guys and all that, like, spring into action because a little girl is losing her faith in democracy. <laughs> uh, Y'all didn't get this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't, I don't know that there's going to be much meaningful improvement because... 
we're still in the lame duck. Um, is there an R session? I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. And it like the only good that could come of this is if the Republican caucus gets COVID when they go back home with their families. Yeah, like that. That would be the only upside from this. Like, there are those Trumpers who are, like, threatening to leave the GOP and all of that and boycott the Georgia runoff elections, which, okay, fine, yeah, do that. Go ahead, Please. we'll be totally owned. But I'm going, I'm going to say it right now, I don't think we're going to have control of the Senate. I don't even think we're going to have a deadlock in the Senate. Um, Biden will be lucky if he gets a deadlock and that will still mean any potential COVID relief is subject to Joe Manchin's veto mm -hmm. I mean (laughs) we're talking about like the one plus side is Bernie Sanders would be chair of the Senate Budget Committee Mm -hmm. but you know (laughs) there's only so much he can do with that yeah and what amuses me is that, like, Biden is infamous, um, and we were talking about this because of that Patreon special we have upcoming, and I got reminded that Obama had to stop having his VP whip because Biden would preemptively offer concessions, um before, you know, anyone asked or consulted and Reed was like, no, stop this. Tell him to stop this. Um, this is, you're making my job harder. And, you know, if you're like majority leader, well, minority leader in the Senate by that point, it's like... Well, like <laughs> half the time he was majority leader and, I mean... The are happy. Yeah. I'll give like Harry Reid some credit in that he actually was willing to get his hands a little dirty, which is mm-hmm. more than Chuck Schumer, but Oh yeah. Schumer is a goddamn loser. He has a lot more power than people think. He just doesn't use it. And like half the Justice Democrats started out as like Harry Reid staffers, so you know. Yeah. So it's like these people are fucking useless. Meanwhile, and the house, you know, at no point during this process has said, "You know what? We actually hold the purse strings." So no money for the DHS to do a Gestapo in Portland. Mhm. <sighs> Meanwhile, and uh, the October jobs report came out and it's not that great. It's pretty, like, about where we thought it would be. Yeah, and that where we thought it would be is kind of grim. Now, the official unemployment rate is something like 6.9%. Nice. Um, In theory. But that doesn't really capture reality very well. Um, it's been a while since we had a good rant on this subject, so would you care to um, walk us through that? 
Yeah, so the short version is, as some of you may or may not know, the official unemployment rate is like one of the most cooked numbers in American politics. It is Mm -hmm. like, I forget who said it on Twitter, but there was like some, like, not blue check, but somebody like with good quips and shit once said that the thing about the late Soviet Union was they just refused to release the numbers. Uh, whereas the thing about the United States is they cook the numbers. So that's what you get with the unofficial unemployment rate is it eliminates anyone whose jobless benefits have expired. It eliminates people for like based on age or based on how long they've been out of the labor force. Um, and it also is seasonally adjusted, which is supposed to, you know, even things out for apples to apples comparisons. But what it really does is it just warps the fuck out of what the rate is. And it doesn't actually tell you what percentage of the population does not have a job. Like, yeah. it is the most fondling entrails bullshit there is. <laughs> So, um, what is a more reasonable number from what we have? Something closer to what they used in the 20s and 30s, which was what percentage of the working population currently does not have a job. And you gotta remember this shit, like the GDP and all these other reports are not done based on some kind of sane macro analysis, but are based on surveys sent out to employers. So, you know, how representative these even are in the first place is its own exercise in, like, faith. Um, Yeah, like, they they basically sample from, like, um, somewhere around 140,000 businesses out of the 42.5 million they're supposed to exist and if you can immediately see the problem with this um hats off to you because it should be obvious the problem is how to put this um we don't have 32.5 million businesses anymore um we're currently we are currently in a recession. Um, we're not in a depression yet. Officially. That's a historical <laughs> determination. Um, in part. You have to be... Like, a recession is like at least two quarters two. of GDP loss. A uh, depression is at some point after the fact, economists and historians, usually historians first, start going, oh... Wow, that was fuck off awful. Yeah, and it's like at this point, I feel somewhat comfortable in saying that this is probably going to be declared a depression. And oh yeah, there's, but yeah. Um, so when we actually get <laughs> a not cooked number, and this is leaving out retirees, of course, because you should. Yeah. The labor force participation rate currently shows somewhere in the neighborhood of 28.8% of the population are jobless. That's yeah. more than 1933 when the U.S. unemployment rate hit 25%. 
at the worst of the Great Depression. Yeah. And it's like, basically, there's a lot of statistical massaging that goes into the official numbers. Um, We tend to prefer here using um, the employment population ratio, um, simply because it's... It is wildly imperfect as a measure, but we think that absent better data, um, it's frankly the most supported by the evidence and more properly reflects the day-to-day reality. (laughs) Yeah, like, there's just no fucking way that... We are at a level where only, like, one in 18 Americans is unemployed. Not when, like, the hospitality and tourism sectors have been completely obliterated. And Disneyland is laying off staff. And the oil industry is capping wells. And banks are, like, huddling in a corner and crying. Like, there's no fucking way that that could possibly be true with the re- with like record numbers of people filing for unemployment benefits consistently throughout this crisis like there's no possible way that it's yeah. only 6.9%. Yeah. I mean it's like depending on how you want to fiddle with the numbers we're I would say we're about around 30% taking the, um, can't take the, uh, the average of a couple of plausible numbers here. Um, basically, one of them is with Social Security subtracted. Um, one is with some Social Security, um, numbers still thrown in because there are people who basically are considered disabled because they can't get work um, within their region because their region has collapsed, basically. Um, And there are no more non-manual labor jobs. Um, And so it's like, (laughs) in terms of like, yeah, (laughs) Shit's so fucked. yeah, so it's like you know you got anywhere from twenty eight point eight to thirty two percent. So I would, I'd be willing to say thirty. That seems to that actually seems to reflect reality. Yeah, moral of the story: they cook these fucking numbers, um, and shit really is way worse than it looks. It is exactly, or rather, it's exactly as bad as it looks when you walk down the street. Yes. Um, I'm not gonna say that, like, this method is, like, perfect, but it's, like, given how badly the official numbers are fudged, um, this is the only useful proxy, and it's not a very good one. Um, in terms... Now, of course, if, like, you know, cat food free goes through and they destroy Social Security, then um, well, we get to throw those 14% back into the work labor pool. Because 
Grandma has to be a Walmart greeter now and then die of COVID-29. <laughs> like, that's... Does, does your economy on neoliberalism? Not even once. Yep. <sighs> that gets us to... Speaking of, you know, Grandma having to go back to work. Oh, yeah. Jesus, fuck. Um, so. Oh, Tyson <laughs> is in the news for incredible awfulness. Um, so, Tyson Foods has suspended managers at an Iowa pork plant. You know, hear the word Iowa, you should think, oh God, that was one of the totally unmitigated disasters for COVID at this point. Um, so Tyson has suspended managers at an Iowa pork plant in as part of like a wrongful death suit that's been levied against them by the relatives of deceased plant workers, alleging that the managers were placing bets on who and how many of the workers at the plant were going to be infected with COVID. Yeah. And on top of that, they... We're not very quick on providing safety gear, um, and they pressured sick workers to remain on the job because, you know, when I buy pork chops, I really want them to be slathered in somebody's, um, you know, coating of COVID. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Um, Jesus. Yeah, like, really, the purge kind of downplays it. I think uh, when it comes (laughs) to social satire, it is tasteful and restrained compared to some of the other slock that's out there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, I get that on some level, it's hard to switch a slaughterhouse from going super total fast um you know everyone crowded together on the same line to okay we had to slow down our processing rates so that you know we can maintain it the appropriate social distancing and all that i get that that takes time but it's like those people do not give a fuck about you if you work there (laughs) it's worth mentioning that meatpacking used to be a heavily unionized industry and yeah. there's a reason those unions got busted, so they can get away with this bullshit. <laughs> oh, God. Just putting it out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, meanwhile, in based news, um, Guatemalan protesters set their Congress building on fire during the budget protests. <laughs> So yeah, they've been, Guatemala's people have generally been massively in the street protesting against new austerity bullshit where the government and very, you know, similar to ours actually decided to say, you know what, fuck it. Um we're going to cut funding for COVID relief and human rights groups and education and healthcare and just generally, you know, the things that are going to keep people from dying in the street horribly. Yeah. And meanwhile, they approved um, 
50k pounds. Oh, this is from the Guardian. We're sorry. Um, I don't know what that is in America dollars. It's 70 grand. 70 grand? Okay. Um, yeah, they appropriated Cash. like 70 grand to pay for meals for themselves. Um, but they found the time to like, you know, go full austerity on, you know, on funding things that people actually need. Like, the church leadership, like, the Catholic church leadership even was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. The Roman Catholic Church in Guatemala called on Friday for Diamante to, uh, to uh, you know, the budget. And um, granted, this current pope and his opinions on social justice did come from somewhere. Oh, yes. And... It's like, they tried to ninja this shit out um, while the hurricanes were going through. Um, which is, you know, that's a massively dick move. And now they're shocked, shocked to find that um, their offices have been burned. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever shall the poor desks and windows do. <laughs> Why do they deserve this? Yeah, I mean, I guess they um, lost their notes for their plans on another round of funding cuts. And um... <laughs> somewhere a blue check is furiously composing a 30 part tweet storm that starts with, Will no one think of the insurance agencies? <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, so uh, further down the docket, it's banking and finance. Oh yeah, let's see where the number is going to land this time. Oh wait, that's a bad number. <laughs> But you so um your regular reminder that it is always a better idea to play craps and roulette than put your money <laughs> in the stock market. Yeah. So, um so we've had a couple of bank failures at the beginning of the crisis. Um thankfully the Fed stepped in and Managed to stop the bleeding for now, but it still didn't solve the underlying problem, and the underlying problem has killed two small U.S. banks. Um, and there are more on their way. There are like 10 or so that are like at extreme danger levels of. Of mm, basically, you know, debt ratio like. Oh yeah, there's near one hundred percent or above. Um, you know, liabilities to assets, which means they're basically fucked. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> fucked. That is, y there's no way you're going to be able to pay it all off. Mm-hmm. Like. One I saw was um, 
in the offending article was something like 558% of their... (laughs) This is why you go to Vegas, because you know all the casinos are required to have a physical dollar bill in the vault for every equivalent value of chips on the table. Yeah. Um... The old casino would get away with this bullshit. Yeah. Um, would you mind explaining the whole um, Texas ratio thing? Oh, yeah. So that is essentially saying how endangered are these banks? Mm-hmm. How close are they to looking like they're going to get soaked? And this is all, and this is where it gets fun, is this is all coming from commercial, retail, and other related loans. Yeah. Which is not is... supposed to be happening, <laughs> by the way. This is how you get away with shit like First City Bank of Florida, like do, being leveraged 539.28% on their yeah. assets. That's okay, how you so I remembered bullshit. it slightly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it was still in the 500% um, yeah. range. And it's worth noting that the Texas ratio doesn't... It doesn't mean, like, your, uh, your assets and your liabilities. We do know about fractional reserve banking and all that stuff. So you can close your comment window right now. Um, what this means is... The underperforming loans, the bad loans, the stuff that you just don't quite trust to hold up if it goes um, into default. How much of that are you exposed to compared to your assets? If that number is above 100% or even just fairly close to it, you're in trouble. It's, yeah, this, and we have two banks that have failed so far. Mm-hmm. These aren't big banks. These are your regional banks. Um, but what this means is it's only just getting started. We previously reported on that the Fed has sounded the alarm as of November 10th that the like, this default wave is expected just to get a lot worse. Like, they're sitting going, oh shit, this is all gonna break. They can see the size of the wave. They can see the, oh wow, all these, like, restaurants and tourism and even large businesses that are not going to be seeking further lines of credit as well. Because that's something else that's not that doesn't show up in these ratios is it's not just a question of, oh shit, they're not going to be able to cover everything. It's they're also in an environment where nobody is depositing or seeking new lines of credit. Yeah. So there's no new opportunities to bring money in to staunch the bleeding. Yeah. And it's also worth noting that at this time, this is happening right as the Trump administration is attempting to withdraw, or have they already withdrawn their uh, the Fed uh, the Federal Reserve's um, emergency um, lending facility? 
like, I remember something about that last week. Um, it was pretty bad. Yeah. This is <laughs> it. This is all of what's holding together finance at this point is unraveling. Because this level of fuckery in the real economy is not something Wall Street is prepared for. Yeah, and it's like, how how the fuck do you cover this? And yeah, you can't. It looks like at this stage, it looks like the Fed's not even really able to try. And Um, this, by the way, is why the Fed shoveled like nine trillion dollars onto the fire back when this first started. Yeah. That's how bad the situation is. As we're about to go into a new lockdown, probably caused by Thanksgiving. Yeah. We have... We've been marched into the killing fields. And the boomers who are trying to do Thanksgiving anyway, they're sure as fuck not helping. So yeah, and this all, by the way, is because we're not getting new relief money coming. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't a question of these are banks that are eating shit because they fucked around with stupid Wall Street bullshit. It's these are banks that did what banks do and are eating shit because the economy is dead. Yeah. I mean, you just... If there's no money flowing, the economy cannot function. Not a capitalist economy. uh, You cannot do without capital flows, without consumer spending, without debt service. All of these things have to be in motion for the economy to work at all. And these things are slowly grinding to a halt. For, For you, they may already have ground to a halt. And this, like, is why some of the stupid bullshit that's coming out around student debt forgiveness is especially galling, because that would be the quickest way to pump billions of dollars into the real economy, Mm -hmm. is even if, because there's a few proposals that have been out there. There's the Bernie proposal, which I am obviously a huge fan of, that would say the federal government uses its authority to uh, forgive all student debt held by the feds the next proposal down which still would be a huge windfall and would wipe out debt for like 75 percent of student debt holders is the one that now elizabeth warren and chuck schumer are pushing which would forgive fifty thousand dollars worth of debt and the biden incoming administration's response to that has been we'll forgive ten thousand dollars of debt holders with private debt that are economically distressed which comes to a grand total of eight percent of all debt holders yeah and like let me put it this way if you most people who have private student loan debt they don't have like you know, numbers that would be easily wiped out, like 2,000 or 5,000 or 10,000. Like, um, before any 
loan forgiveness proposals were floated, I was figuring that I would have to take about 20000 in private loans to finish my education. 20000 to 25000 And that's, in some cases, that's a low number, actually. Um, you should see some of the crazy shit that um, New Jersey allows. <laughs> um, and and yeah. let's, you know... Just to put some like perspective on this ten thousand dollar figure, that is like a year's worth of interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's yeah. up to ten thousand. By the way, it is not ten thousand blanket forgiveness. Um, this. I mean, so, if you're so like Joe Biden <sighs> thinks, the best way to fix the economy is to give us a bunch of fucking Target gift cards. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's like if you're economically distressed and you're dealing with private student loans, I mean, yeah, maybe getting 10k taken off the top would be helpful, but it's not it's not enough to substantially reduce your debt load because odds are if you have that kind of private debt lurking around, you also have like, you're also maxed out on federal loans. So you've got like 40 to 50 K of undergrad loans. God knows how much um, graduate student loans you might have. Um, some of you might have none, some of you may have quite a bit. Um, in any case, it's like, this won't help you. I mean, it, it's better than nothing, um, but like, there's very few situations you can end up in where this will actually cover you and get you free and clear. I mean, maybe a coding camp? I don't know. This um, is like, this is a joke. This is, yeah. you're fighting the wildfire with a $5 squirt gun. Yeah, this is oh, such as a joke. It's a sick joke. This pack is, it in. It this just, is a fucking insult. Yeah, th- this is, it's stupid, it's unnecessary, there's no good justification for it. I mean, I can and, understand it if it were like, we'll forgive X amount of private student debt, and we'll forgive... Um, you know, like the 50k of, you know, public student debt. Um, and the private debt is the one that they have the least means to actually do something about, too. Yeah, yeah, like, it's hilarious. stroke of a pen, Biden could make all federally held debt disappear on January 20th. Mm-hmm. And, like, put it in motion on January 20th. It would happen very quickly. Suddenly, people are no longer having to throw down money for giant interest payments, and the economy gets a gigantic shot in the arm from people spending money. Yeah. I mean, this... <sighs> people have money to do things like save for a house. Or get a car. You know, those things that you need to stimulate the fucking economy. Yeah. I mean, there is a reason way, uh, like, way back in ancient times, they actually did debt jubilees. 
because the consequences of not doing so tended to be brutal at yeah. sword point even so yeah that's and this is happening as for jumping across the ocean for a minute china has for those not familiar been starting to open up their bond markets to international purchasing this year and have just issued a new offering with Deutsche Bank as a significant uh, partner in arranging the transaction for debt at negative interest rates and at extremely low rates that are still competitive for European and American investors. Mm -hmm. So China's getting in on the capital export game that has propped up American neoliberalism since the 80s. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily a good thing in that it could destabilize the um, global economy down the line. But it's like, at this point, you know, they're, uh, they're going to do it come hell or high water. So... Like, U.S. Treasuries are eating shit, and mm-hmm. now you've got two strong competitors. Yeah. First, you got the Euro, and Egypt, by the way, jumped in on that pretty hard, as we've talked about before, to get Euro-denominated bonds, and now they're basically printing money for their current their foreign exchange reserves. Now China is actively doing it in the private sector. Like this is going to yes. give investors who are watching the US economy not just crash and burn, but also have no hopes of relief somewhere to go. Yeah. And it's And like, they'll go. Yeah. I mean there is so much demand for liquidity. Um, especially liquidity that actually yields something. And China's it. Like, that's the last of the great untapped capital markets. Um, And, I mean, you know, Chinese billionaires are going to profit handsomely from this. Of course. It will all be very, you know, communist, I'm assured. It's communist billionaires. Yeah. But as far as you're concerned, it just means that, you know, I guess it sucks to suck. And this means, you know, that cheap credit that's been making the U.S. economy run is suddenly not going to be in as much interest anymore. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're paying for everything with your credit card... Um, whether or not that's a good idea. <sighs> I mean, those days are over. <laughs> On every level. Like, this mm-hmm. is it. Neoliberalism is, at least in America, is no longer going to have the same tools that it used to have to sustain itself. And... That's that's going to ripple like, throughout the hemisphere. Oh yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be bad. Um, it's going to be incredibly bad. Um, 
Jesus. But, I mean, you know, if, if this is how you make your money, I guess, I guess you're fine now. <laughs> yeah, you, you got somewhere, according to Obama's brand ambassador, to park your money. Mm-hmm. But you don't listen to this podcast, do you? <laughs> <laughs> or, I don't know, maybe you do. You, you might be that Republican legislator who's got the communist dom. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you are, then throw us a fiver and go tell your dom immediately that you have given money to a bunch of anarchist econo- economists. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should put in a, a thin dom tier. <sighs> anti-capitalist doms we will do it yeah like a hundred dollar tier and a thousand dollar tier you won't get anything um well, but nothing material you will be able to prove to your um, fendom that uh you did do something yeah <laughs> you did a praxis <laughs> A praxis that will help us do fear and loathing on Wall Street someday. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Speaking of good praxis, at least to start. <laughs> Energy and climate. So. so the EU has announced they will be investing over the course of the next decade or so, somewhere in the neighborhood of $940 billion just in offshore wind farms, which, you know, for those keeping track at home, is $60 billion less than Biden is promising to spend on climate change, period. Mm -hmm. I mean, I totally understand it because, like, the EU energy mix is horrible. Um, the Greens have been, you know, pushing to close nuclear power plants, not replacing them. Um, and instead, they're just going to coast on um, ripping apart the Black Forest for the dirtiest coal possible. Because, you know, fuck you, environment. Totally. Yeah. Uh, and it's all you know through carbon offsets and other various bullshit that this is excused yeah no that that should stay on the ground we plant the fucking black forest you disgusting pigs um so even so like <laughs> that they're dropping this much to build new infrastructure and like offshore wind is one of those like incredibly low hanging high yield fruit areas oh of yeah renewable generation like this is like i said their mix is incredibly bad um and this is probably going to be their only path forward so they might as well make this investment um <sighs> and this, you know, it will also mean lots of new jobs. 
yeah. in the EU related to wind and wind production and distribution and getting this infrastructure in place. Like this is like this is the thing that's so fucking stupid about what we're seeing in the Biden team and saw with fucking like Obama is this is a lot of the talk is around direct investment, which has multiplicative effects down the line for the economy. This mm-hmm. means shit like a more stable source of energy generation. This means improved grids, more efficient power generation. This means lower costs down the line. This also means the people doing this work are spending that money mm-hmm. instead of some stupid tax credit bullshit. This gets the shovel ready jobs flying. Yeah. And it's like. Should we go into Biden's climate bullshit? Because oh <laughs> it's just... Now, I, I get why this particular loser is getting so much money from, you know, oil and gas. I mean, in in Louisiana, let's face it, this is this is how you make your money. If you're a legislator, you <laughs> you get it for the oil and gas people. There's nowhere else to turn. They pay up, and they don't give a fuck, and you don't give a fuck because, you know, you'll be retiring somewhere that's not Louisiana. So, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit if you sink the... Um, the entire habitable landmass of Louisiana into the bay. Who gives a shit? It's just so, <laughs> like... And he appoints, like, some other, like, absolute shit to the EPA transition team, mm-hmm. who was a consultant for fucking DuPont. Like, mm-hmm. these are people who are... He's not appointing academics, which would have its own problems but at least you could argue are non-corporate experts he's not appointing people from grassroots groups or frontline communities or you know anyone who has actual skin in the game yeah like he's putting in the people who have money to be made yeah and it's like richmond who is the loser i was talking about earlier he was like um he had an interview with Face the Nation recently, and he was like, when we govern, we'll govern with our values, but when we can't pass legislation, we shouldn't be out there talking about it. Which is, like, you know, that's loser shit. I mean, it's like, you have the stink of failure upon you already, and it's like, yeah, I, I get, you know, being a pay pig for oil and gas, but he doesn't have to be appointed, you know? And this is, you know, stands directly (gasps) in opposition to the, you know, the EU, China, all these other places are investing heavily in green energy. They're investing heavily directly and mm-hmm. boosting production and capacity, that's going to attract investment. That's going to attract private capital. That's where the banks and the hedge funds are going to go. Is they're going to go where there's somewhere 
to turn a buck. Yeah. So as we're getting, like, absolute fucking monsters like Janet Yellen being appointed as Treasury Secretary and being a total deficit hawk. Oh, yeah, Janet Yellen. The only... Money, jobs, all of that (laughs) are going to be going somewhere else. Yeah. The Janet Yellen thing still gets me. I mean, it's like, I get that she was, like, better than Summers. Um, That's grading on a curve. That's grading on a curve. I mean, it's like, the only reason Janet Yellen doesn't have a Russian body count is because she didn't get the opportunity to. Um, She didn't get in on that, you know, early 90s grift of looting the former Soviet Union. Um, That's it. And I'm miserating literally everyone. Like, you want to know why Russia's all fucked up? It's people like Summers. And it's not like Yellen was much of an improvement there. So this is what we're looking at, is we're watching... And this is going... This is setting up the next ten years of economic trends here. This is setting up how the COVID recovery is going to go. That this is going to be... Green jobs are going to be popping up elsewhere, and mm-hmm. any attempts to bolster the American infant, still infant, let's be real here, green energy industry are going to be having to face stiff international competition. Competition who, by the way, will be much more used to operating at scale than their American counterparts. Mm-hmm. You're looking at bond markets that now have safety valves and escape hatches. I mean, this is all the makings of the United States gets not just the United States, but most of North America as second order consequences get passed over. Yeah. I mean, what else is there to say? This is. This is the iron laws of the market at work, people. (laughs) We're not allowed to ask for anything and we get even less. So like the and it's not like the people around Biden don't know this. They're just either too brainwormed or fucking sick to say something otherwise. Yeah. I'll be gone, you'll be gone. Gee, I they wonder where I heard that before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is these are the people you're dealing with. So um, guess that's trade. Yeah, let's let's jump right into that. Um, so, for continuing on that same theme of hey, the U.S. is getting passed over. Mm-hmm. We have. Nigeria has just ratified the African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement, an Mm -hmm. agreement which is on track to probably be even bigger than the Chinese-led RCEP, which we covered last week. Or the TPP, for that matter, the US-less one. Um, So this is... And... Worth pointing out, this trade agreement was delayed in its 
out like initiation by COVID, but is still on track to be like in effect on January 1st. And with Nigeria now in, even though they have their own basket case of stuff to deal with, that you have this signif- fairly significant oil player coming in and their oil still is profitable along with the access that gives to regional markets. Like this is on its way to Africa actually being able to cultivate a healthy internal market. Yeah. And basically it's symptomatic. Well, we should say it's symptomatic of how things are going. Um, Do I know if this is going to be the African century? I don't know. Maybe. They'll definitely be the Chinese century. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a possibility. Um, I tend to think maybe it'll be the African century century uh, simply because there's like there's no other block that's going to be standing. I mean, who else is going to be it? China doesn't have the power projection. Like, they're the era of, like, imperial hegemons in, like, the sense that we're used to is, it's kind of over. Um, and I don't, I don't really think it's coming back. Not really. And this is, like, this along with the African Union getting increasingly cohesive as time goes on is very bad for American economic and political hegemony. Particularly from the economic standpoint, this is, again, somewhere else for capital to go. That is not the sucker's bet called American markets. Yeah. I mean, this is... It's over, (laughs) y'all. This is it. The balance of power has shifted. The ground has moved beneath our feet. And granted, there are still significant barriers to Nigeria being fully integrated. They still have, like, closed borders with several of their neighbors, but... It's... Yeah, they... Like, it's not gonna be, you know... It's not gonna be a smooth process, but it is almost inevitable at this point. Um, Meanwhile, in much smaller news... (laughs) Way smaller. (laughs) Way smaller. Um, (sighs) Boris Johnson begged hard enough for Canada to say, fine, we'll keep our existing status quo trade deal in place with the UK. The one that says you have to operate according to EU rules. Yeah. And it is... Taking back control. (laughs) Taking back control. We can't even negotiate with Canada. The most we could get was status quo ante. (laughs) And that status quo ante requires us not changing a single goddamn thing. Which is Mm -hmm. why we said we did Brexit in the first place. Taking back control. (sighs) Like, 
Yeah, I think it's just this and Japan at this point who have concluded post-Brexit trade deals with the UK. I mean, supposedly they've completed them with, like, 53 other countries, but... Who are conspicuously not named. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's also worth noting that a lot of those are rollover deals like this, um, where it's, like, you don't. You're not allowed to change anything from the EU rules, but we'll continue to trade with you um, as long as you stick to those rules. So in the end, the UK got nothing mm-hmm. from Brexit, and there's even estimates that Brexit at this point has cost the British economy as much as COVID. <laughs> Taking back control. <laughs> something something eurocrats yeah and you know something something dirty socialists probably said in a blair-eyed accent yeah i mean it was wasn't just the tories that got this one yeah i mean it's like it's really important to the blairites and the tories that um in the guise of their own independence, they are permanently disciplined by the European Union. <sighs> the EU really, you know, I think the EU could get around the whole thing of Boris threatening not to pay their um, divorce deal by instead st- saying, fine, we're just going to charge you for being our sub. <laughs> A region with two <laughs> with two blocks has been reduced to one. The Soviet Union. <laughs> <sighs> I guess that takes us to <laughs> Our last word. Mm. So <laughs> At this point, it is safe to say that we are seeing evidence on multiple levels, Mm -hmm. whether you're talking China offering negative interest rate bonds that are being snatched up by investors, U.S. Treasury bonds hitting their lowest rate of return ever, um, actual like evidence of... uh, capital flows from the Persian Gulf to the United States and North America dropping off. Mm -hmm. And of course that neat hat trick Egypt pulled with their Euro denominated bonds that we are in a process of capital flight in the United States. Yeah. Like investors are running for the Hills. They're packing their bags They're doing what capitalists do, but it's happening in a global environment where now there are significant viable alternatives to the United States. Yeah. I mean, they're not pulling up their factories and shipping them over to Shenzhen, but at the same time, it's like they're leaving quietly while they still can. And there are many 
economic, strategic partners that they can deal with and deal with the rest of us, I guess. <laughs> we are surplus to, cap to global capital's requirements. It's not an instantaneous process, we should emphasize. Um, but it is happening, and I don't see anything on the horizon that would really reverse it. I mean, what, are we going to just turn the South into a special economic zone or something? Maybe. Maybe. That That is always a possibility. Like, we could start seeing some serious unequal treaties on the part of the Biden administration. Yep. Since and it's like they refuse to spend money. So what else is there? Oh wait, trade treaties. What kind of trade treaties have these people negotiated? Mostly bad ones. Yeah. If you want to have a job. If you want to make shit tons of money playing at the Wall Street casino. NAFTA's been awesome. Mm-hmm. But if if you were hoping for your grandfather's old job and circumstances, that ain't happening. We're we're reverting back to the usual, um, and the usual fucking sucked. There's let's just say there's a reason. Um, FDR is regarded as, like, the savior of capitalism. <laughs> There's no signs that that's coming. Mm -hmm. these, these people that we've got in, they're not going to do shit for us. They've made it clear they're not going to do shit for us. They're like... They're going to smile, say no... And start stomping on your fingers. Because they're sick and tired of you clinging onto that ledge. You make too much noise. That is so bleak. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. And even <gasps> though, like, you know... Janet Yellen, the incoming Treasury Secretary, who's going to end up having the most influence over this process, any cabinet official, is not a corporate hack. That's because they came out of academic economics, which is, like, almost equally diseased. Yeah. I mean, did you know that if you pass a briefcase from one person to another, um, you can build up infinite utilions? Did you know that you can exchange those utilions for an airport and leave your deserted island that way? We both know, and you know, that that's impossible. That it's, that that's completely absurd. And some of you may think that I am making this up. Um, but. That's economics. Yes. This is, this is what the capitalists believe. In academia, this is genuinely what they believe. Now, obviously, some of them would dismiss it on the grounds of, well, that's a real transaction. 
there's not enough of an economy. But it's like that's the logical that's the logical conclusion of their I hesitate to say politics, but their understanding of how capital flows and the real economy are constructed in a society. So this is what we're at, is that we have <laughs> the person in charge of the economy has not just been educated in, but at one point was chair of the Federal Reserve enforcing this shit. They believe in this. In a 2017 interview. Like, in 2017 interview was, like, the thing that keeps me up at night is the size of America's debt. Is like, go fuck yourself. You know sovereign debt doesn't work that way. Yeah. Don't pull this. You know better. It's like, and for those who don't know what the implications of sovereign debt are, sovereign debt is money that the federal government owes to itself. Or other governments, but yeah. let's be real, the United States government has been operating not so much in the land of they owe international markets $10,000, therefore the international markets own them. They've been kind of more on the level of they owe international markets $10 billion, so therefore international markets just have to suck it the fuck up mm-hmm. for a long time, since like 1945. Yeah. No, it is it's just kind of a joke to see this kind of deficit hawk being put in to run the economy right now that there is no meaningful movement happening on relief right now. Granted, the incoming administration can't do shit about that, but the rhetoric around deficits and debt is the same bullshit that's being used by Mitch McConnell to spike that wheel and starve the fuck out of people. Yeah. And it was just oh my god, it's like this this is what we're dealing with. What else is there to say? Like and obviously it's like, you know, I'm not going to mourn the American Empire. It's just that I live here. And so this affects me. And this affects my friends. And if you're watching, listening from Canada and going, well, at least I'm not in the US, let's just get to work on that privacy hedge there, eh? America <laughs> eating shit and dying is gonna, like, wind up all over your front porch. Oh, yeah. Assuming that your Tories don't pull a GOP in the meantime. Yeah. Which is not that unlikely. I don't know. I got a bad feeling about our friends to the north. (laughs) When the party in opposition is going full fucking Murdoch and they hold the majority of provincial governments... I wouldn't call that a good indicator for federal control for the liberals who really are not dealing well. No. And basically like 
Yeah, I, I mean, the American era is over. Um, I just don't know what we're going to get afterwards. The uncertainty does worry me, for obvious reasons. But at this rate, with the political situation we have, and with these feckless Obama-era fossils... And with Wall Street clearly voting with their money, mm-hmm. I just the oligarchs are doing a runner. Yeah, they've I done don't... it on other countries. Now, with the blessing of Obama's brand ambassador, they're doing it to the one that made their empires possible. Yeah, and it's like we're about to find out in America what happens when America occupies you. <laughs> pretty much this and the capital flight is i mean it's something that's really abstract or at least sounds really abstract but that's going to impact things like your ability to refinance on that debt that's been allowing to pay you to pay your bills that's going to impact your company's ability to get new lines of credit to keep the lights on or to engage in any kind of expansion or any kind of new product development that's necessary to stay competitive. Like that is going to have so many knock on effects throughout this overly financialized economy. Yeah. Like really the only good thing that will come out of it is we might finally get an accurate valuation of how much finance actually contributes to the U S economy instead of how much it pretends to contribute. Yeah. And it's like the reason, yeah, the reason capital flight affects you is not because like you're taking your money and walking off. Um, like I said earlier, you know, you don't get paid enough for that shit. Ah, now, what this means is that corporate really far away from you is going to decide that the numbers on the spreadsheet are bad, even if everything's ticking along, and so you're fired. Or, uh, congratulations, your department has been reduced to you. Um, no, you will not be paid more. Um, you will be doing everyone else's job. Because this is <laughs> this is what they do. Like they will downsize you. Um, this is the Harvard MBA program in action. Yeah, and when these geniuses get through with all this bullshit, like not even the gig economy will save you because we'll all be passing around the same twenty dollar bill. Um, like <laughs> it's city groups plutonomy paper which was mm-hmm. published in the mid 2000s before the 2008 financial crisis argued that it is possible for economic growth to be sustained by solely catering to the wants and needs of the top 1% yes so we're about to really find out how true that is on paper 
and how willing the adults in the room are to throw it all in on that bet. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's not going to be good for you. I'm just going to say that right now. So yeah, unionize. Fuck the police. Um, <laughs> talk to your neighbors. You know, do an organizing. Yeah. They don't give a shit about you. We're the only ones who can save ourselves. They've got their money, yeah. But they don't have us. They can't take us with them. They don't... They can't really take the real economy with them. They can just take their blood money. And they genuinely think that will be good enough for running explosive collar bunkers. Mm-hmm. Or whatever twisted shit they've come up with this week. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Fallout was just supposed to be a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, for all we know, we could be living in the actual backstory. Yeah. They- or, you know, we could be in a different backstory. Yeah. Make it a good one. (sighs) Through collective action, you know, you have that power. Yep. At the very least, it'll force them to recognize that throwing bread to the masses is a great way to not die horribly. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, with all of that... This was Chop Shop Economics. Good luck out there. Bye, everyone.